this show is not for the easily offended. So if you are easily offended, go listen to something else. Comic Book Noise. I'm your host, Derek Howard. Comic Book Noise can be found at comicbooknoise.com. It's part of the Deliberate Noise Network. For more details, please go to deliberatenoise.com. If you'd like to send feedback, you can email me. My email address is Derek, that's D-E-R-E-K, at comicbooknoise.com. Or you can call the audio comment line at 734-331-0772. If you'd like to make a donation to the show... Uh, you can go to the Comic Book Noise homepage, and there you'll see links where you can donate either through PayPal, um, Alphonic Minutes, which is a service I use to process the podcast, or uh, by becoming a patron. Uh, comicbooknoise.com slash patreon or patron I can't remember which one I should have set it up for both but I didn't so just go to uh, comicbooknoise.com click on the link and become a patron (sighs) for as little as one dollar a month you can have uh, special patrons only episodes when I um, actually get around to recording some Uh, if you think it's been bad on the uh, comic book noise feed, the uh, patron feed has also been rather lacking, but I am making an attempt to actually do regular shows, do, to release regular episodes on both of them. Um, I don't know what you're saying. Okay. Uh, I'm driving. It's rush hour and it's raining. So, you may not even get to see, hear this episode because I may die in a fiery car crash because these assholes don't know how to drive when it's when the roads are wet. Anyway, um, I finally finished Seven Soldiers. Uh, I, I read Seven Soldiers, number two, the book that I just did not like the first time I read it. Um, so much so that I, I gave it away. I read it once and gave it away and haven't thought about it until I started, you know, reading the whole series again. Um, there are four uh, trades that I read and I finally finished the last one yesterday or the day before yesterday. It doesn't matter. It's not germane to the story. But um, I read it and even though it made slightly more sense this time around, um, still not that crazy about it, you know, and I, I can't really put my finger on why. It finished the story, um, the disjointed storytelling of the first, what, 27 parts of the story. Uh, no, that would be 
one, 29 parts of the story, um, carried on into this one, so there wasn't any really drastic, uh, storytelling change, because sometimes they'll, they'll do that, I don't know if you've ever read, um, the complete, uh, works of Sherlock Holmes, the, the, the complete adventures of Sherlock Holmes by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, but if you have, and I've, I've read them, you know what I said, um, in fact, for years, I, there was this two paperback set that I carried in my car for a long time. But if you read it, or if you read all of the um, John Carter Warlord of Mars books, um, they both have the same thing in common, where uh, all of the other stories are told, are told from the first person. The Sherlock Holmes stories are told from... Um, uh, the point of view of of uh, Dr. John Watson, the um, the Barsoom stories are told from um, I believe they're all told from um, John Carter's point of view until you get to the last story in each of them. Right, the last story of uh, Sherlock Holmes was basically Sherlock Holmes fighting Nazis, and it's told from a third person. I mean, it's just a drastic change. You know, um, and if I recall correctly, the, 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 it was the same thing with um, the last of the John Carter books. And if I'm wrong about the John Carter books, somebody please let me know. But Sherlock Holmes definitely, it, was, it, it definitely went to third person. And I'm, all, and I'm almost positive this is the exact same thing happened with, um, with uh, John Carter. And no, nothing like that happened here, you know, where it was telling this, this disjointed story um, that spanned a bunch of time and it and then all of a sudden it just became like a straight superhero story that is not what happened here um, thank goodness because <laughs> I that really would have turned me off and been like eh, okay yeah this 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 uh, this this uh, the second issue was just shit but it wasn't. It, it didn't do that. Um, <coughs> uh, J.H. Williams III's artwork. It's just really good. In fact, I said this before and I will continue to say it. His work on this book, just like his work to me on uh, Batgirl, excuse me, Batwoman, um, is too good for comic books. You know, it, this, this is like art art, you know, um, and that's not to, to denigrate comic book artistry, it's just that what he did in this book sort of elevated it, you know, um, and not a whole lot of people can, can do that, can elevate something, um, that has pretty much been, uh, codified for years, you know, uh, just like you know, with, with storytelling, what um, what Bendis brought to the to the table. You know, there are a lot of people who don't like Bendis's work, but you have to admit he changed the way comic books stories were told. You know, um, it's like if people don't like uh, Liefeld and um, McFarlane, uh, they changed the way that comic book art was done. You know, the way that the stories were told. Um, and with and with uh, what uh, Williams did here, 
is different from the work he did on Chase, you know, um, but it's actually closer to the work that he did on Promethea, and I'm sorry, you, just, you cannot tell me that Promethea looked like a regular comic book, you know, in fact, there were certain uh, comic booky aspects to certain uh, panels and pages in Promethea that, to me, just stood out as being odd, because everything else was so different, um, and with this book, he's closer towards Promethea than he was towards Chase, which was, you know, more comic book style, you know, um, in fact, the only thing that I found myself not liking was this one, there was this one page, right, um, and it was just, to me, it was just a peculiar art choice, okay? And when I say I don't like it, I'll, I'll tell you why in a second. But there was this one page where, um, this isn't too much of a spoiler, but Misty is standing with her arms spread out, you know? Like uh, uh, Cyrus from um, The Warriors, where you can see her arms are, 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 are spread out. But it was... On, it was all on the same row, but it was two separate panels, right? And I remember staring at that, like, for for a, a, a few good minutes, you know, and I, I read very fast, and I read comic books very, very fast. Um, but there's one little piece of artwork where he chose to split this one panel in two. Made no sense to me, and I'm just staring at it. And I'm looking at it, and I'm, and I'm reading the page again and again, and I'm trying to figure out why he did that. And it's like, like that just makes no damn sense to me. You know, it's, it's just like, you know, art for the sake of art. You know, just, hey, I'm going to put two panels here just because I want two panels on this line. And it just, it, it, I didn't like it. There's one, it was, like I said, one row, um, two panels, the panel on the left, which is the first panel, was smaller, and it had, like, a slight, um, diagonal-ness to it, you know? Um, it looked more like a manga, a pair of manga frames than anything, and it just, it just didn't make sense to me. In the bigger frame, you had, you saw Misty in the foreground, and her arms are spread out, and you see a bunch of um, devastation in the background, but in the smaller one, all you saw was this little, um, no, not little, but this, uh, uh, this drill machine coming up from the ground, right, and I, I didn't understand why he was focusing on that, you know, I mean, if you, you, you could have had the whole thing in one one big panel, but he had that, that, that boring thing, it looked like, a, um, something that, that, like, the, uh, the, the mole man would use, to dig up from, uh, the underground, right, uh, and it just, it, it bugged me, right, so much that I couldn't get past that page, I just kept looking at that page, kept looking at that panel, kept trying to figure it out, right, and then when they changed the page, then when you go to the next page, it 
switches from Zatanna's story, which is what Misty was a huge part of, to um, Clarion the Witch Boy. And then I got it. <laughs> because Clarion the Witch Boy was climbing out of that underground boring machine and he immediately starts talking to Misty. So it's like he put it there to draw your attention to it, but not to really draw your attention to it. It's like, hey, remember this in your mind's eye because I'm going to come back to it, you know? And so when you get to the next page and you see a closer view of this thing coming up and you see Misty in the background, it's like, oh, for fuck's sake, that's what he was doing, you know? But when you just wouldn't, like, when I was just reading the page, I did not get it, you know? Um, but I actually had to sit and look and think about how things were done, how he was, how he uh, put his page together, you know? Um, because I finished my eight-page comic, um, and... It's not the way I wanted it because I overthought shit and didn't put a lot... I I overthought certain things and didn't put enough thought into others, you know? So, it's it's a mess. And that's all I'm going to say about that for now. But then when I got to the end of uh, Seven Soldiers, um, I liked it. It was a definitive ending, you know? Because most... Um, I don't know if you can really call this an event because it was pretty much self-contained. But let's go with events, right? Most events or um, or, uh, or, or maxi series or whatever this thing was, because um, it was just like a, a series of mini series, you know. Um, they always try to leave the door open for more storytelling. You know, ever since, you know, the last few pages of Watchmen back in 85, uh, people who tell miniseries have been doing that. They've been saying, okay, we're going to leave a story. We're going to leave this open for more stories (coughs) instead of just finishing the story. You know, very few have done that. Um, I can't think of many of them top of my head, and I'm trying very hard, I actually can't think of any of them top of my head, um, everybody wants to keep everything open, you know, and even when it's unnecessary, you know, but this one, it, they were just like, okay, we're going to close it, right, now, you know that there's other things going on in the DC universe, that much you know, but you can read this story and not need to go and uh, seek out other things, you know? I mean, you can if you really want to, but it's not really necessary to complete your enjoyment of this story. Um, I, I really liked it, you know? I don't know how much more I can say about it. Um, yeah, it, it had an ending, which I really liked, the artwork, the, um, the artwork of about all the different artists, it, it all just seemed to work, right? Even the artists who whose style didn't really fit with the others, like uh, uh, what's his name, Cameron Stewart. He did the uh, the Metropolis Guardian, 
but his artwork was was drastically different from uh, 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 Simone Bianchi and H. Uh, Williams and Ryan Sook. His was more, was almost cartoony. Not exactly. Um, compared to the others, it, it was really cartoony, but not really. I don't know how else to put it. Um, but, oh, fuck, that's not good. Oh, boy. I just noticed that the road that I use to come home is closed. So I gotta find another one home. Anyway, um... Ugh. Anyway, his his artwork was actually because it was, um, you know, Guardian and Newsboy Legion and stuff like that. It looked more like um, Kirby than anything else did, but it wasn't like a direct uh, homage or ripoff of Kirby, you know? Um, there's some people who do Kirby very well, like uh, Eric Larson. He does Kirby very well. Um, what's his name? Grummet and um, Kessel together they do Kirby very well. And uh, but you can see, okay, they're trying to look like Kirby. You know, her Trimpy's another. They look like they're trying to do Kirby. You know, it's like if Kirby had a house, they're biting his style. Um, but that wasn't the case with uh, Stuart, or if it was, I, yeah, I, it looked like an original thing, but it was a lot more colorful than I would have expected. I don't know if I'm explaining it right. Uh, just to say that I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the whole thing. Um, it's just that, that second issue, um, Seven Soldiers of Victory, number two, there's just there's something missing, you know? It's like they checked all the boxes of what you needed to do, but for some reason it just felt to me like they still did not stick the landing, and I I can't explain why. Maybe I need to read it again. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, uh, once I did finish reading it, um, I switched over to reading Deathstroke. Uh, I was listening to, and I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but I was listening to Geek Syndicate. And um, Dave, David Monteith was talking about um, the uh, uh, Christopher Priest, excuse me, Priest on um, Deathstroke and how when he first, when they first called him about it, you know, Priest was like, oh, I didn't know Deathstroke was black now because, you know, he's a black writer and usually he gets called in to write black characters. Um his his death stroke the way that, that, that David talked up his death stroke made me immediately go out and order all three uh, trades you know thank goodness I had just got my income tax return um, so I I got all three and they've just, they've been sitting there right I've been reading them in between volumes of um I've been reading like a chapter here, a chapter there, in between volumes of um, Seven Soldiers, and man, oh man, Slade Wilson is a horrible father, <laughs> you know. And that's what they're—that's tra- what they 
guess what Priest tried to get across in the uh, first, um, the first volume, and he he got that a- across very clearly. You know, uh, <laughs> you you kind of found out why Grant, his son, turned out the way he did. You know, um, he, he man, the guy's a horrible father. But the uh, the, the the first three trades dealt with a number of things, you know, they dealt with, um, uh, okay, this is going to be, this is going into spoiler territory for a couple of other books, so, sorry, I I can't do it, because I have questions, you know, um, the first thing, the first part is when they're talking about Wintergreen, who was, uh, basically Deathstroke's, um, Alfred for a long time, but Wintergreen was dead. You know? He, uh, oh shit, all this time I didn't have my lights on. Whoops. Um, Wintergreen, the last time I saw him was in, uh, Identity Crisis, where Deathstroke had killed him, decapitated him, and put his head on the wall as a trophy. You know, uh, Brad Meltzer was very clear to state that it was Deathstroke who killed Wintergreen, you know, and that kind of took me by surprise, like, whoa, Deathstroke is really going off the reservation, because I remember Deathstroke, when he first came out, he was a villain, he was a straight-up villain. Then, when he got his, when he got popular, he became, got his own book, he was sort of like a Punisher type um, anti-hero, right? Uh, and then for a while, he was actually flirting with being a straight-up supervillain. I mean, superhero. You know, uh, not not a whole lot, but he would team with the superheroes more often than not. You know, um, but he was dead, and the very first storyline in uh, Deathstroke. They revealed that some some confusing things. Number one, they revealed that Wintergreen was still alive. That the person that he had well, he had wanted to retire, so he found a replacement. You know, they had found him and Deathstroke found a replacement and basically made this guy look just like Wintergreen. And then they said that that Wintergreen had been killed by an enemy. Of Deathstroke, and I'm thinking, oh, he got killed by Deathstroke. I'm reading that, and I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna keep reading, you know. Uh, and then later on, uh, his son Jericho plays a big part in the rest of the story. And I kept thinking, I thought Jericho was dead, you know. So it's like these people who were who were, were dead are now back to life, and I'm thinking, okay, uh, this is. You know, DC Rebirth, so I'm just going to let it go with that, right? Um, but it was it was, it was was really good. They had that. They had uh, uh, his daughter, Rose. She's a big part. So that not only telling the story of what Deathstroke is doing, they're also telling um, a story of Rose and how she is trying to find her way through life. Um, and at the same time, Jericho, Joseph, is getting married... Um, but he has this big secret that's going on, and it's just all very well, just very well-crafted 
um, tightly woven story, you know, um, there's a part where it's Deathstroke versus Superman, you know, which answers the question, why hasn't Superman actually ever gone after Deathstroke, you know, I think they answered it pretty definitively, um, as well as what would happen, and what I liked is this seemed like Superman, because a lot of times when Superman appears in another book, um, they try to find fault with the superhero, you know, with the, with the, the, the superhero archetype, the big blue boy scout, you know, they try to, to make it seem like he's arrogant or he's just alien, right? In fact, that's one thing that Deathstroke calls him. A couple of times he calls him the alien, you know, when they're fighting each other. Uh, but he still felt like Superman, you know? Everybody tries to pull Superman down to the level of, of the book that he's appearing in. And basically, that's what they did here, but he was still Superman. He still felt like Superman. Um, and then later on, they had a, a guest appearance, a, a mini arc, with a Power Girl. Um, not uh, um, uh, Karen Star Power Girl, but uh, <laughs> do you remember a few years ago when um, they were really pushing the fact that there's a new Power Girl? She's a 16 year old black girl who's a genius, right? And how a lot of people really started to lose their shit, okay? Um, I, I, re- I remember this very clearly. It was one of the first things that really started to turn me off almost completely from comic book fandom. Um, is these guys weren't even really trying to hide their disgust and their racism towards this character. And as I'm reading her, I'm, when she first appeared, I'm thinking, she looks familiar, you know? And I was like, oh, yeah. When they, like, later they said, this is Power Girl. I was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This, this, this is Power Girl. This is Power Girl. And to me, she is the type of character that all these uh, comics gate guys uh, really need to pay attention to. All right? Because what they're doing, it seems to me, is they are losing their shit over a character like this particular power girl um even if these particular guys aren't losing their shit over this particular character these particular type of guys are losing their shit over this particular type of character when all they really need to do is just wait you know they're talking about how you know we need to make comics great again or whatever they're trying to do um all they have to do is wait because dc and marvel will always revert to what was the status quo okay yeah you can have a black batman but rest assured within a couple of years he'll be forgotten you know you have a black Captain America. Rest assured, in a few years he'll be forgotten. So if these guys would just calm down and wait, they can they can outweigh these the changes because the changes will always be undone. Okay. Case in point, the best Adam was Ryan Choi. 
Where's Ryan Choi? Okay. <laughs> you have this great character in Power Girl. Um, and she's guest starring in uh, Deathstroke. You know? So, yeah. The comics gate, guys. Just, just settle down. Yeah. It all doesn't matter. But what do I know? I'm just a guy here making a lot of noise. <laughs> a lot of comic book noise. Take it easy. Oh, my God.